If you would, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. This is a familiar verse, passage. uh, Verse number 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Last Sunday we looked at what it means to be human. Physicality, that is the material, and memory, the non-material, if you wish. And our text last Sunday was 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-9. through 9, And let me read it quickly. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our, our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Last Sunday, toward the end of the sermon, I asked if I were to suffer an accident and lose a limb or become physically disabled or disfigured, or simply in the course of time, as I get older, my physical abilities would diminish, what would you think of my spiritual condition, my relationship with God, my status before God, If I were to become nearsighted or blind, as Peter puts it, though he's speaking figuratively, what would you think? Would you imagine that my spiritual state would be diminished or in danger? Probably not. I would think that no one would say, oh, Damon lost a leg, therefore he's farther away from God. Or become disfigured in some way, maybe he's not a Christian anymore. But if my memory were to begin to fade... What would you think of my spiritual condition and my status before God? What if, in Peter's words, I have forgotten even something as basic as a reality that I've put my trust in the Lord Jesus? What if I were to suffer a catastrophic brain injury, perhaps resulting in amnesia? What if, as a result of some brain trauma, I could no longer communicate verbally or reason logically? We could go on and on. My question is, what would you think of my spiritual condition? Memory is an important part of what it means to be human. The Bible has a lot to say about memory and remembering. That's what we're looking at, uh, Lord willing, in this series, um, the issue of memory and of forgetting. Memory is important, as is remembering. But I think we fail to appreciate what the Bible says about these things. I think we don't understand and really comprehend what God has said about it. I think there are a number of reasons for this. And let me start out by just some of the mistakes that we make or some of the faults that we have. I would say, first of all, as Americans, we undervalue memory. For one thing, our history is not as long um, as other countries. Dan and Lonnie will be seeing castles and ruins that go back centuries and centuries. And in this country, we don't have that. Um, I think the only time we really think about memory is when we begin to lose it. And when there is the possibility of a disease that will take our memory from us, then suddenly memory becomes a big issue. William Dyerness, in his book, How Does America Hear the Gospel, said, 
The way Americans deal with the past is a function of our approach to life. Fundamentally, we have two ways of dealing with it. We idealize it, or when that is impossible, we forget it. As Americans, I think that's how we think. Alan Bloom, in his classic work, The Closing of the American Mind, forgetting in a variety of subtle forms is one of our primary modes of problem solving. You want to solve a problem? Just, just forget. Forget whatever it is that needs to be solved. And I would argue that as American Christians, we are like our fellow citizens in that we do not have a strong sense of the past. Um, for American Christians, we have little or no sense of God's work in the past. And if we do, oftentimes we're wrong. Because what we will do is we will think simply in terms of our own experience of what God has done for us. And our memory of what God has done for us may in fact be mistaken. We may not remember it the way that it really happened. We forget that God is not tied to doing things in one particular way. One could argue, and it has been argued, that as Americans we have a wide faith, but it is not a deep faith. In part because there's no sense of memory. There's no remembering of the past of what God has done. In our opening hymn today, we sang of the white-robed martyrs. Um, do we think about the people centuries ago who gave their lives for their faith? So first of all, I, I think for us, we undervalue memory. Secondly, when we do value it, we see it as a purely intellectual matter. Uh, modern and postmodern people may tend to view it as a purely intellectual matter, and that's the age in which we live. The Romantic movement, which came before postmodernity, uh, rejected memory and said memory is, in fact, something to be rejected. Well, that's not the answer either. But what we find is that people, uh, in many ways, see it as purely a matter of the mind, that if somehow you could transplant your brain or download your consciousness, then that's, that would be the ideal because that's, you, know, you would remember, and that's what remembering is all about. But what we will see in scripture is that remembering is much more than a matter of the mind, such as belief. It does have an intellectual aspect, but it's much more than that. We live, I think it's Stephen Frost who said, we live in a hyper-cognitive age, a hyper-cognitive society, which prizes intellect and reason and really does not prize love and relationships, community and being together. It's all about knowing and remembering, if you wish. And many would argue that to be a human being is, in fact, to be able to say, I know that I am a human being. You know, uh, Rene Descartes' famous cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am, that marks the beginning of the modern age of which we are a part. And so being human, for many people, is seen as being able to think, to have a sense of yourself, to remember and if you lose that ability, then it is argued you lose yourself. As long as we can tell our story, then we are who we say we are. But if we lose the ability to tell a story, then we lose our personhood. I read to you a poem last week from Diedrich Bonhoeffer that he wrote while he was in prison, uh, imprisoned by the Nazis who eventually killed him. Who am I? This or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once, a hypocrite before others and before myself, a contemptibly woe-begone weakling? Or is something within me still like a beaten army fleeing in disorder from victory already achieved? Who am I? 
They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. As I said last week, I think Bonhoeffer's question I think is very similar to what people ask today. In an age in which people are always trying to discover who they are, or rediscover, or recreate who they are, the question, who am I, weighs very heavily. One more thing about being part of a hypercognitive society. I'm convinced that it affects the way we read scripture, including our text today. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I think the emphasis in the 20th and the 21st century and Romans 12 too is about the mind. And in this way, the Christian faith is reduced to a matter of thinking and reasoning and the intellect. It's mere propositions. And therefore, if we want someone to become a Christian, then it's all about their mind. Here are the facts. Here are the propositions. Do you accept these? And if you do, well, then you're a Christian. This is not what Scripture teaches us. It calls on us to live by faith and to know that God is love, that God loves us, and we are to respond in kind. I think the third mistake we make with regard to memory is that we put too much weight on our ability to remember as well as our ability to think and reason. Um, And depending on our abilities, sadly, shapes how we view our relationship with God. And so we get, there's something profoundly disturbing that if we begin to lose our memory, then we might, in fact, lose our relationship with God. When we, in fact, heard today that it is, that it is by grace that we have been saved. It is not from ourselves. It is something that God has given us. It is a profound truth that God remembers his people. And what comfort and strength we should draw from this. To have some sense of this, say to yourself, and God remembered, and then say your name. And God remembered Damon. This is particularly comforting, particularly when you've gone through a time in which all evidence seems to indicate that God has forgotten you. We put too much on ourselves and our ability to remember. And lastly, we fail to remember that it is God's remembering that counts. We are to rest in his remembering. The God who remembers calls on us, his people, to remember as well. But the foundation is that God himself remembers. After the account of the flood, which God used to destroy mankind, Genesis 8 begins with these words, wonderful words, but God remembered Noah. Not at all meaning that God had forgotten about Noah and his family in the ark. But in contrast to his judgment in which God judged all humanity, his remembering is a sign of his grace, his faithful love, and his timely intervention. God's remembering always implies movement toward the object of his memory. God remembered Noah. We find different references throughout the Old Testament where people cry out to God and they ask him to remember. Not as though he had forgotten, but that in his remembering he would act in grace toward his people. In the last chapter of the book of Nehemiah, four times, Nehemiah prays to God in this regard. Remember me for this, O my God, 
And do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. And a few verses later, remember me for this also, O my God, and show me mercy according to your great love. And then, in a negative sense, remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priestly office and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. And finally, the book of of Nehemiah ends with this, remember me with favor, O my God. Now, this might sound rather presumptuous. Who is Nehemiah to tell God to remember him? But let me ask you, consider the alternative, that God would not remember you. Uh, I I think God remembering us is something we would much prefer. I read last week Hannah's prayer when she asked God for a son. O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery, look and remember me. And not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord. We've just done a series on the Psalms and prayer. And we hear the Psalms, psalmist speaking time and time again of God's remembering. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Come to my aid when you save them. Now God's remembering is not the same as ours. We're not omniscient. What, so God's remembering is not a question of He had forgotten something and and now he's remembered because God knows all things. But it points to his faithfulness and his love and his acting toward his people. We are told in a number of places that he remembers his covenant, that he will keep his word. We may fail to keep our promises simply because we have forgotten them. This is not the case with God. In Psalm 113, we read, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. God remembers. On the other hand, we read in scripture that God forgets certain things. Now, God knows all things, and so when we read of him forgetting, um, well, let me read to you some passages that I think, at least for me, are of great comfort. Psalm 25. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good. And when God does not remember our sins, he forgets our sins. That means he forgives them. He remembers them no more. In Isaiah 43, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. In Jeremiah 31, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. It is amazing that God forgets things. There are times we wish that we could forget. It is the paradox of the human condition that we oftentimes forget what we should remember and we remember the things we wish we could forget. But we are to rest in God's memory. So let me ask you this. 
Which would you rather rest in? Your ability to remember or God's remembering? So what is the answer? How do we begin to solve this dilemma, this problem of us not really having a biblical view of memory and forgetting? So I suggested last Sunday what we need to do is to develop a theology of remembering, which would also include a theology of forgetting. I think to do this, we need to sort of back up a bit and think in terms of practical theology. And that's what I want to speak about briefly. What is practical theology? Let me read to you a definition. Practical theology seeks to explore the connections between the practices of the church and the practices of the world with a view to enabling faithful participation in God's redemptive practices in, to, and for the world. In other words, as God's people who follow scripture as a community, we are to have certain practices which might, in fact, be quite different from what the world is doing. And why do we do it this way? Because God has called us to do this, because he is redeeming the world through us. It is through his people that God is bringing about change. Practical theology is the aspect of theology which seeks to bring together doctrine, if you wish, to theology, and practice. And it does so, and this is something I'm going to harp on, if you wish, to describe and re-describe the world. To describe and re-describe the world so that our practices as Christians can remain true to the practices of God. Simply put, practical theology provides us with a lens through which we can look at the world and see it correctly. If you think about it, beyond the fact that the Bible is a revelation of God, it tells us who God is, it is a re-describing of the world. If you read the scriptures, you should allow it, it should in fact begin to re-describe or redefine reality. We make sense of the world through our senses. We use a variety of stories or narratives, if you wish. And this shapes how we think of the world. How we think of right and wrong, of ambition, of society. It's been suggested that in the West, in our culture, there are at least five major stories that really shape how we view the world. Nationalism, religion, capitalism, psychology, and biomedicine. These are so powerful and so deeply ingrained in the way that we think that we don't recognize how powerfully they shape the way we view things, including the way we view Scripture. So when Scripture is in fact supposed to help us redefine reality so we see things as they truly are, instead the stories out there are causing us to redefine how we look at Scripture. So when we look at Scripture and we read about being transformed in our minds, we again, because we have a hypercognitive society, it simply becomes a matter of the intellect. The Christian faith is not seen as anything more than that. However, for as strong as these stories are, there are always other stories that make counterclaims which challenge these ways that people look at things, the definitions of the world. And the Christian narrative found in Scripture 
is one of those narratives that gives a counterclaim. The Bible, in fact, gives us a radical redefinition of the world. You see, we live in a world that is marked by individualism, competitiveness, a world in which autonomy and freedom and choice are seen as the highest values. But in Scripture, we discover that it is the sovereignty and the majesty of God, the one who created all things. This is what defines reality. In this creation, as described and narrated in Scripture, we discover that salvation comes through weakness and brokenness, that strength comes through weakness, that gentleness is, in fact, a mark of the Savior, of the Messiah. Jesus tells us, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This isn't a completely different story. This is not what we hear in the culture surrounding us. We are marked by individualism and competitiveness and freedom. The idea that weakness and humility and brokenness is the way we should go is a radical re-describing of God's creation. Now, this being the case, we need to understand that our responsibility is not to make the Bible relevant to society. Okay? It isn't like, okay, people are thinking this way, so how can we sort of adjust the message to appeal to them and then somehow they can come to faith in Christ? No, it's quite the opposite. We are, to, we are called to help society recognize that it lives within the world as it is described by Scripture. Not only has the world forgotten this essential fact, I fear that many of God's people have as well. When we come into the world and we judge it by our senses and we hear the stories of the surrounding culture, what we are, we are given is not a trustworthy account. It is not an accurate vision of how things are. If it were, we wouldn't need the Bible. We would not need a description a redescription of the world, we would already know how things were. And that's simply not the case. We do need scripture because our, our perceptions are really messed up because we've been listening to the wrong stories. One of the areas in which this is the case is the area of memory. The loss of memory and all the other forms, dementia and things like that, is seen as something to be feared because dependence is seen as something to be feared and rejected. I want to be independent and autonomous. I want to be free. But what the scripture tells us is that we live in a creation made by the creator. We are creatures. We are, by definition, dependent, whether we recognize it or not. And we find in scripture that nothing, and I mean nothing, even the loss of our memory, can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. In a society that fears that, we share that fear, I think, because we have forgotten how things truly are. 
To be free, to be autonomous only makes sense if you understand that you are a creature made in the image of the creator. If God is the creator, and if we live in a creation which God says is good, then we know at the very least that we are loved. And we are loved beyond all measure. Now, let's be clear. I'm not suggesting that everything we learned in school, we throw out the window and say, no, no, I'm just going to follow scripture. Because in fact, some of the descriptions that we find from the surrounding culture are in fact accurate. But taken as a whole, they go in a different direction. So as God's people, there are things in which we would say, yes, this is true. And there are things which you'd say, no, this in fact is not true and this is something that we will not accept. But even the things that are true are true as God's people because they are transformed. We see them in a different light. We see that God created all things and he saw that they were good. Transformed, by the way, is the right word to use. It's the word that Paul uses here. See, as I see it, I think that how most Christians view things is that you have the world, and we, we accept, we buy into the definition, the description of the world, and then we sprinkle sort of Christian words or God words and somehow make it Christian-y, and then that's how we see things. When in reality, we see the world, and we realize that apart from God, we're not seeing things quite correctly. In the one hymn we sang today, uh, this is my father's world, that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. My senses tell me that this is not looking good. Um, wrong seems more, evil seems more uh, powerful than good. And if you listen to literature or read literature or watch movies, evil also seems much more interesting than good. But when we come to scripture, we're given a different picture altogether. The correct picture the accurate picture. When it comes to the issue of memory in the scripture, the matter of remembering and forgetting is not seen as an exclusively intellectual matter in the same way that believing and faith are not seen as only a matter of the mind. They do involve the mind, but not simply the mind. There's a moral dimension as well. When people stand before God at the day of judgment, they will not be able to claim a faulty memory. See, it's not our memories only that are faulty. Um, our memories are also sinful. They are defective. They are rebellious, an act of rebellion against God. The human memory does not wish to remember God or the things of God. Even as God's people, this is a battle that we fight day after day. Paul in Romans 1, describing this matter says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. If, in fact, people look at reality, if they look at creation, the answer is there. But the society, the various stories that they've heard, even their senses tell them a different story. And so the idea that God made the world 
and that God expects something of them is something that has been rejected. Later in the same chapter, Paul says, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a reprobate mind to do what ought not to be done. We need to be clear about this, particularly when we talk about memory, that the fallen memory is in rebellion against God. Did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. And so we hear the prophets in the Old Testament saying time and time again, you have forgotten God, your Savior. You have not remembered the rock, your fortress. But the call is not, you guys need to have brain food. You need to work on your memories. It is that we are to rest in God's memory and to remember that he remembers far better than we do. And his remembering speaks of faithfulness and love. In the scriptures, memory is never nostalgia or sentimentality. Uh, It's not brain power. It has to do with gratitude and humility, trust and hope. So, speaking negatively, pride can be defined in part as forgetting who we really are and thinking that we are something that we are not. Ingratitude can be defined in part as simply not forgetting to be thankful There is that, but forgetting what God has done. Taking God's name in vain, in part, means forgetting who he is, not only in his majesty, but his power. God has never let us down. He will never let us down. And we need to remember that he remembers. In looking at memory... We must begin with God, who is the basis of memory. And then rather than focusing on ourselves, our strengths and our weaknesses in this area, our faith is to rest in God. So that while none of us would want to lose our memory, for whatever reason, we in fact are to rest in God's memories, that he in fact remembers us and loves us, and nothing can separate us from the love of God. When we look at scripture, we are to see how it re-describes creation. It presents a radically different world than the one we think we live in, one that is defined by nationalism and religion, capitalism, psychology, and biomedicine. We forget the reality that God created the world and pronounced it good. When it comes to the matter of memory, we need to look to the scriptures. And the Lord willing, this is what we will do in the weeks to come. But just one last thing before I stop. The business of re-describing reality may seem rather strange to you. Redescription of creation. But it's something that we already do in different ways. Consider Jesus of Nazareth, a peasant from Galilee who was crucified and died as a common criminal. That's what a historian would tell you. But we understand, we see his death as redeeming creation. It is a sacrifice. It is a payment for sin. This is a re-describing. So that if, in fact, one could go back in time and look at the event, your senses might tell you one thing, but Scripture tells us something quite different. What we need to do as God's people, however, is not limit our re-describing to biblical events or to Christian events. 
but to all of reality. That God made this world, he knows what it looks like, he knows what is right and what is wrong. He knows what is precious and what is not. And we are to rest in his memories. Because nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I suspect that we all wish we had better memories, that we could remember the things that we need to remember and forget those dreadful things we wish we could forget. And in so doing, our focus becomes ourselves, our memories, our forgettings, and we fail to rest in you. We have been so infected and affected by the surrounding culture that we follow those stories, those scripts, those narratives, those definitions of things. When in fact you've given us your word, which clearly tells us how things are, if we would but listen carefully. We look to you, our Father, who remembers his people faithfully and lovingly, who has forgotten our sins. It's just so amazing because many of them we cannot seem to forget. And above all, who loves his people dearly. We are your creatures made in your image, being recreated in the image of Jesus Christ. May we in the days to come think on this, and what practical theology is, particularly as we look at the area of memory. And may we rest in you. We pray for Dan and Lonnie as they'll be leaving to travel, that you would keep them safe and in good health. We pray for Stacy and Zib and their pregnancies. You would watch over them and their babies. For each of us as we go through the world in this coming week, may we have a sense of your presence. And in our thinking, at least, begin to see in things in terms of redescription. And be transformed in the way we view things. Thank you for bringing us together today. May your spirit and your grace go with us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.